Well, you will have perhaps seen a theme in today's uh, readings. Uh, the why, what, how of prayer. As to why, well, we look in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, to the Colossians. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Well, how is it that we stay rooted and built up in Christ, established in faith? Of course, one of the ways is the daily reading of Scripture, but another is our daily prayers. But we need to be taught how to pray. The disciples needed to be taught how to pray. Jesus did not need to be taught how to pray. Um, he just did it often, all the time, in fact. And because the disciples saw Jesus setting himself apart in prayer, they came to him and said, how do we pray? Teach us Evidently, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, has taught his disciples how to pray because they say, teach us as John taught his disciples how to pray. Would you please teach us how to pray? Now, it's not that they hadn't prayed in synagogue uh, because there were uh, at least three times a day uh, prayers spoken in the synagogue. Um, 18 in sequence of them prayed. And so they would have heard these prayers um, prayed over the congregation, but they're asking a different question. How do we pray outside of the context of the liturgical prayers? It was the same question I asked when I became a Christian because although um, at 9, 10, and 11, I was in a Roman Catholic convent all-girls school um, and I said the prayers that the nuns said, I didn't understand it, uh, them. Um, and then when I went to a Church of England girls' school, uh, the same thing, the liturgy, uh, we had morning prayers each morning. But when I became a Christian in my 30s, I knew that there was something missing, that I needed to be able to pray, but I didn't know how to pray. And it's the question that the disciples are asking of Jesus. And the way he teaches them is the Lord's Prayer. What's come down to us, it's, it's not his prayer, it's the prayer he taught his disciples. So I suppose technically it's the disciples' prayer, but we know it as the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And can you realize that for 2,000 years, that prayer has been prayed by Christians in their own language throughout the centuries? How many billions of times has that prayer been raised to the Father? In Revelation, it says that uh, God gathers all of our prayers um, in a bowl like incense. It's a sweet aroma for him. 
Whenever we pray, it rises up as a sweet aroma to God. Whatever our prayers, help, Lord, come, whatever they are. Whenever we address God, they're gathered together in a bowl that rises up in his presence like incense. And he delights in our prayers. He delights in these prayers that we would pray. This, our Father, throughout all of the ages, even in those areas where Christianity has, they have tried to stamp out Christianity. Uh, We've been watching video DVD uh, teaching series done by uh, Professor Ken Bailey um, this year, this summer, and last summer as well. And he tells of a story that um, after the Iron Curtain fell uh, um, and all of the Baltic, states were freed from communist rule, he went back there to, um, to lecture in a Lutheran church. And he was astonished to find that the majority of the congregation who came to hear his lecture were in their 20s and 30s. They had been raised under a regime that had taught atheism that had completely discounted Christianity. And so he asked the question of one of these young women, how did you come to faith? Was there a church in your town? She said, oh no, they had closed all of the churches. Well, so then did you have a saintly grandmother, perhaps, who passed on the faith to you? Oh, no, she said, all of my family are atheists. My parents, my cousins, my brothers, my grandparents, they're all atheists. Well, so then he said, "Um, was there maybe an underground Bible study or an underground church in your area? No, no, she said. But at funerals, we were allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. And she said this. She said, as a young child... I heard those strange words and had no idea who were we talking to, what the words meant, where they came from, or why we were reciting them. When freedom came at last, I had the opportunity to search for their meaning. Then she went on to say, when you are in total darkness, the tiniest point of light is very bright. For me, the Lord's Prayer was that point of light. By the time I found its meaning, I was a Christian. The tiniest point of light shines very, very brightly. I think we can't really comprehend what it's like to be in a place where you cannot practice your faith and to hang on to these prayers as life itself, as the only thing that brings life and light into a dark world. Billions of our Father has been raised to God. 
And he's gathered them all together. And there's such a sweet aroma to him. Each and every one of our prayers. So what is it? What is it that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray? Well, the very first word in Aramaic, remember the uh, Greek is the spoken, is the common language throughout the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. Hebrew is the formal language of prayers in synagogue in the temple. But this Semitic language, Aramaic, was what they spoke amongst themselves. And Jesus says the first word is Abba. That's the word that little children are taught. You know, when your child is young, you go, his daddy. Can you say daddy? Daddy. Dearest daddy. That's what he's saying. Saying that's that's the beginning of our prayer. The beginning of our prayer is our daddy. Dearest daddy, doesn't that evoke images of a safe lap to climb into? Safe arms to hold. If it wasn't the image of your earthly father, it is the image of your heavenly father. Go back to the prodigal son. That's the father. Lifts up his skirts, doesn't care what the village thinks of him, goes running out and welcomes back the prodigal son. Dearest daddy. So if we come close in that first word, the holiness of God is in the second. Hallowed be thy name. Of course, we can't make God's name holy. We're mere mortals. He himself is holiness. He is holiness in his own person. We can dishonor his name or we can bring honor to his name. But his name is holy, hallowed, set apart, other. Do you see? He is both our dearest daddy and he is other. But we're to address him as this father. You know, uh, Ken Bailey again speaking, he said he went into, um, I think it was Syria um, or the Lebanon, where now the language is Arabic. But the original languages in that area, again, was Semitic. And so he is preaching on the Lord's Prayer and is explaining this point to them. And the women are starting to chat together. And at the end of the sermon, he said, "Um, do you have questions about what I just said to you about Abba? And they said, well, even though Arabic is the language we now speak, Abba is still the first word we teach our children. That's the history. That's, that's the continuity of the culture. Dearest, dearest daddy, thy kingdom come. 
In St. Matthew's version, we have thy will be done as well. They're, they're two of the same thing, really. If we're praying for God's kingdom to come, it's that his rule, his will, his way of life, his way of being and our way of being in him and doing his will and extending the kingdom is the same thing. We are praying that God's kingdom breaks in through us. If Jesus is instructing his disciples and through his disciples us to pray that his kingdom will come, that God's kingdom will come, somehow or other, we are instrumental in that. God is using our prayers somehow or other in the divine mystery our prayers release his power into the world. How does that happen? I can't tell you that. I have no idea. But if he is instructing us to pray for the kingdom to spread, then we're part of that spreading. Our prayers release his power to expand his kingdom. And once we've begun to pray to dearest daddy, who is holy other, that his kingdom, that his life, that his ways, that his will, that his rule extends out into the world, then we come to a place to ask for our own needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day all that is needed for our sustenance. And in that, there is a statement of trust, isn't there? We can't go and get it all ourselves. Lord, you give it to us. God, all provision comes from you. So we pray that you would provide us with what is needed, nothing more, but what is needed today for us. One day at a time, each day, give us the provision of the day. I think I've shared with you before, there's a book uh, that, that I like called Sleeping with Bread. And the title comes from when the Allied troops uh, went into uh, Germany and France and Hungary and Poland and those areas uh, where the, there, was, there was very little food. And uh, people were, were starving for bread. And they, and they would go and they would give these small loaves of bread to the children. And instead of eating them, the children would hold them to themselves and sleep with the bread. Because they wanted to know the following morning that they would wake up with provision for themselves. Sleeping with bread. Sleeping with that which gives life. The Lord gives life. He sustains. Give us this day our daily bread. And note it's our daily bread. It's not just my daily bread. It's enough for me that I might also share. Mother Teresa tells a story about an elderly man who came to her and the Sisters of Charity, and said, I know of a family who is desperate. Uh, they have eight children, and they are starving. They haven't eaten in days, weeks. 
And so she goes with some rice into this hovel. And she gives the rice into the mother's hands. And the mother lays it on the table and separates it into two halves. And she gathers up one half and she leaves. And when she comes back, Mother Teresa says, where have you been? And she said, our neighbor is hungry too. Our daily bread. And Mother Teresa said she looked out on all of those children who were so very hungry. And this woman who shared her meal because they're hungry too. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. There's a second part to that. As we forgive those who trespass against us. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus elucidates. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's the center of this prayer because the Lord seeks relationship with us and that happens only through the forgiveness of our sins. But our relationships in community require us letting go. Now, forgiveness and justice are two different things. Justice is required for wrongdoing. But forgiveness is for us and the community. It has been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. See, the poison eats away at us. God knows that. It's why it's part of this prayer that he teaches to his disciples. Forgive us as we forgive others and teach us how to forgive, how to let go, how to let go of the poison that kills us if it stays inside. Draw us to repentance. Draw us to a new way of life to new community. I've shared this story with you before. Some of you might have heard it. Uh, Kari Ten Boom, you might know that name. Uh, she was, and her family during World War II were not Jewish, but they provided a way of escape for many, many Jews. But they were betrayed by neighbors. And uh, her parents were sent to one concentration camp. She and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück. And they were brutally mistreated uh, by the guards there. Her sister got very ill, rail thin, there was no food. And her sister Betsy died. After the war, she was the sole survivor of her family. And the Lord spoke to her that she needed to preach 
reconciliation. And she needed to do it in Germany. And so she went back to Germany and she said in those days in Germany, people would come with their heads down into these meetings. They would sit quietly and they would leave quietly. So this one particular meeting, as she was preaching about God's forgiveness, about reconciliation, she saw in the audience a face that she would never forget, one of the most brutal of the guards at Ravensbrück. And she remembered her sister Betsy in how she had died. She thought, I am preaching this gospel of forgiveness. And all of these images kept going through her mind. And at the end, as she was going to leave, this man made his way from his seat forward and extended his hand and said, Fräulein, that's a wonderful message. I hope it's true. Because after the war, I have become a Christian. He didn't know who she was in all of the thousands of people who went through Ravensbrück, but she knew who he was. And she thought, I've been preaching this. I can't forgive this man. And she prayed, Lord, just let me extend my hand. Give me the strength to raise my arm and put my hand in his hand. You do the rest. And the Lord gave her the strength. And she said, the most amazing thing happened. The minute that my hand and his hand touched, there was like an electrical current, a warm river of love and life that infused my entire being, she said. And I have never in my life felt such a weight of love and sheer joy and peace than at that moment. And she said, and at that moment I could say, I forgive you. See, forgiveness is so radical for our wholeness. It is so necessary for our reconciliation with God, and that's done by Christ on the cross. But if our community is to be a community that hallows God's name, that keeps his name holy, then we are to be a community who bears one another, who repents and forgives inside and outside. Forgive us and do not bring us to the time of testing. In other words, don't permit us to go where we're normally going to go. In this fleshly body, I am going to go off track. I am going to walk off the path that I'm supposed to be walking on. I'm supposed to be walking in your way, in your light, where you would have me go, and I get off in bramble-strewn paths, and I get off in dead ends and brick walls. And the prayer is, keep me on your path. 
keep me away from testing, from trials, and from what happens down the road of temptation to sin. Protect me, Lord, for you alone can. And so we see the why of prayer, to keep us rooted in the Lord. The how of prayer, the what of prayer. Jesus' words, how do we pray? Dearest Daddy, dearest Daddy, let me climb into your lap. I know you can provide for all my needs. May you use me as an instrument to extend your kingdom work. And how do we pray? Well, the Lord says here, he says, if a neighbor comes and knocks on the door, I need food. I've got somebody else just arrived. Well, I've gone to bed. You know, the image isn't about God who's recalcitrant about coming. Um, uh, Oftentimes, Jesus' metaphors aren't an even end. God isn't one end and we're the other. In this one, we're the other end. We're the people who are supposed to be persistent in prayer because God is, 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 loves to hear our prayer and to answer our prayer. Be persistent in prayer once isn't enough. Go back. He said, this is, this is what prayer is about. Because it's a continual trusting. Not just a once trusting. Not just a twice trusting. A continually going back. A persistent prayer. Knock, knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, and you shall receive. It's the Lord's delight for us to enter into a time of prayer, to pray to him, persistent prayer. Our earthly fathers, if we asked for food, might have given us a scorpion or might not. But they were evil. And God says, and Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father, will your dearest daddy give to you If your father gave you this, will the Lord not give you abundantly more? So may we be a people of prayer because they raise up and they're gathered in and they're a sweet aroma to God and he delights to give us. Knock, the door will be opened. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.